0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. We continue this morning in our sermon series entitled Mission Redemption as we are following the path of Jesus as it leads to the cross and then ultimately the empty tomb. What if you had less than 12 hours to communicate what you believed was most important to the people that you love the most? What would you say? In John chapter 16, Jesus is just hours away from being nailed to a cross, a cross upon which he would die for your sins and mine. And the Apostle John, in his gospel account, is recounting the words of Jesus he heard almost six decades earlier. But John remembers it like it was yesterday. And he can feel those emotions that the disciples felt that day as they were distressed almost to the point of panic. And Jesus' message to those disciples in John chapter 16, verses 4 through 15, is really quite simple but eternally profound. As Jesus was saying to them, I am leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming. He was saying to them, I'm not leaving you with a code of rules and regulations to follow. I am not leaving you with a list of tasks to complete and duties to fulfill. I'm not leaving you to deal with your emotions and be guided by your intuitions to find your way on your own through life. No, I'm leaving you with a person, and not just any person but the third person of the triune God to live in you and to function through you to perform spiritual work that will reveal me to the world. The word translated Holy Spirit here in the original Koine Greek of the New Testament is parakletos, and it's translated helper in the English Standard Version and the New King James Version. It's translated comforter in the original King James Version that many of us grew up with. It's translated encourager in the New American Standard Bible. It's translated counselor in the Revised Standard Version. It's translated advocate in the New Revised Standard Version and our New Living Translation from which we teach here at Magnolias First. Why why so many different terms for that one Greek word that means Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit performs so many different functions that no one English word is adequate to describe who he is and what he does. So let me just share with you some of the ways in which the Holy Spirit functions in the life of the Christ follower. Some of the ways in which the Holy Spirit speaks. Here's one. The Holy Spirit speaks in harmony with the Scripture and to reveal its truth. We are not left to interpret and understand Scripture based on our own intellect or ability to study. The Holy Spirit unpacks the truth of God's Word to us and applies it to our lives. The Holy Spirit speaks for God through the Scripture. And mark this, the Holy Spirit never, ever, ever speaks in contradiction to the Scripture. He never does. Well, here's another one. The Holy Spirit speaks to convict and convince those who don't know Christ of their sin and their need of grace and forgiveness. The unbeliever, who the Scripture says is dead in their sin, doesn't just wake up one day and decide, well, I think I'll become a follower of Christ. No, the Holy Spirit must draw them. The Holy Spirit must convict them of their need. The Holy Spirit must convince them of the path to grace is through faith in Jesus Christ. That redemption is only through the blood of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that makes that clear and compelling and convicting and convincing to the unbeliever. Here's another. The Holy Spirit speaks to bring glory to Christ and strength to his church. It is the Holy Spirit about whom we've been singing, that has been moving in the midst of this body of believers and those joining us online. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling, but the Holy Spirit stirs up a deep spiritual emotion within us as we worship, and the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to an unbelieving world through the church. The unity that comes when a church is healthy is not something that is a mere social function. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. And the Scripture says, it is by our love for one another that the world will know we belong to Him. That is not something we must accomplish. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. Here's another one that's very personal for you and for me. The Holy Spirit speaks to produce biblical character and Christ-like behavior in the lives of Christ followers. The theological term is sanctification, which means it began at the point that if you're a Christ follower, it began at the point in your past when you accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord by faith, You repented of means turned away from your sin. You turned to Christ in faith, and you began a journey of following him and growing in grace. And that journey will not end until you stand before Christ, either when he returns or you go to meet him. And it will be complete. But until then, that process of spiritual growth, that process of becoming more like Jesus that ought to mark the life and the behavior of every Christ follower is a work of the Holy Spirit. If he is allowed to work in us, he will make us more like Jesus. Well, there are many more, but let me name just one more. The Holy Spirit speaks to guide the Christ follower through difficult decisions and uncertain times. Have we not needed him this last year? He's the one that guides us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are some of my life verses. They ought to be yours as well. I'll quote it later in the message. But it simply means that as we make our way through life, the Holy Spirit, the one who knows what we cannot know, who sees what we cannot see, who knows what's in ahead when we don't have the slightest idea, he guides us into wise and godly decisions, and he takes us upon the path that God's will has set out for us. That is a work in your individual life and mine of the Holy Spirit. And I put it this way in our big idea for today's message The Holy Spirit is your guide through life. If you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit is your guide through life. Now, all that was introduction, by the way. Do you have your Bibles? Open them up to John chapter 16. I'm going to intersperse a couple of passages from the Apostle Paul's writings as we make our way through John 16, verses 4 through 15. And so if you have your Bibles, follow along in whatever translation. If you don't have them, don't worry. Either here in the worship center or at home, all the verses will be on the screen from the New Living Translation from which I teach. John chapter 16, these are the words that John recounted that Jesus said some six decades after he said them. So John remembers these words from the lips of Jesus. Verse 4, Yes, I'm telling you these things now, Jesus said to the disciples that day, so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. Now, think about the setting of this. I'm telling you these things now, Jesus said, so that when they happen, you will remember. And when John is putting them down on paper that through the the ministry of the Holy Spirit has been preserved for us all these centuries as Holy Scripture, John is remembering them as an old man. It's A.D. 90. He's old and gray, but he remembers specifically the words of Jesus, especially when he said in verse 5, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. Now understand the emotional dynamic that was going on here. Jesus is speaking to the disciples who'd had all these expectations and preconceptions of who Jesus was and what Jesus would do and how he'd freed the Jews from the Roman uh, captivity and all these things about what the kingdom of God they thought would be. And it turns out that none of those things were God's redemptive plan. And so as it's finally beginning to dawn on them what Jesus is saying, that he must suffer and die the disciples are absolutely distressed to the point of panic. And they're responding. And I think it's always vital that we understand that the disciples were flesh and blood human beings just like me and you. They had the same kind of insecurities we have. They had the same kind of emotions we have. They respond in many of the same kinds of ways that we respond. And just like us, They were responding in a very spiritually inappropriate way at the moment. You see, when we're facing troubling news, we often respond in one of three ways. Sometimes we respond with denial. It's as if we think if we don't think about it, uh, it won't be real if, if, if we don't process it. We just pretend it'll go away, that it will go away. And that's exactly what the disciples had been doing all those months. They'd been walking with Jesus and hearing what Jesus was saying, that he would suffer and die and be raised again. It wasn't what they wanted to hear, so they just filtered it out. And now that reality was coming crashing down on them, and they were responding with denial. Or we can respond with depression, despair, sinking into the pits, just becoming emotionally immobilized, just frozen in, in what we're hearing. Like when we sometimes hear a diagnosis from a medical test that we didn't want to hear or the death of a, of a loved one, or whatever crisis it might be, sometimes we just respond with despair. But what Jesus was wanting from them and how we need to respond as Christ followers is with determination. Determination to move forward in faith. Determination to trust God to move ahead one step at a time for whatever he has for us, no matter how troubling the news might be. Only that third way is healthy. And that's what Jesus was trying to move them toward. He was saying to them, you think this is a tragedy, but actually it is both necessary and advantageous for you. Look at what he says, verse 7. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now they heard that and they thought, best for us, Jesus. What do you mean best for us? You're leaving us. When Jesus was walking on earth, with the disciples at the time that John was writing this record, he had subjected himself to certain human limitations. Think about this. Though he was fully divine, he was also fully human, which meant that he had limited certain things about his deity during his incarnation, during his earthly ministry on earth. The Apostle Paul gives us insight into that in Philippians chapter 2. So go with me there for a moment. Look on the screen. These verses come from what many believe was a hymn of the early church. Some of the most powerful scripture in all the New Testament. Philippians 2, 5. Paul said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. And the word there means to hold tightly onto, not to release. Now look, verse 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. One of the divine privileges that Jesus gave up in the incarnation was his omnipresence, that he could no longer be everywhere all at the same time. When Christ was incarnate, he could only be at one place at one time. When he was in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, he could not be simultaneously in the temple teaching scriptures. When he was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, he could not at the same time be in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus enjoying a meal with his friends. He could only be in one place at one time. But then Jesus says, ah, but the Holy Spirit is coming. And through the Holy Spirit, he is everywhere at all times. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is at work from Australia to Zambia, from the North Pole to the South Pole. He's at work in the hearts and minds and lives of Christ followers and sinners whom he is convicting of sin everywhere in his world at all times. He's even at work in outer space where numerous astronauts have declared as they looked into the vastness of God's creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. Who revealed that to them? The Holy Spirit. Everywhere at all times. And the greatest of the Holy Spirit's work, Jesus speaks of in verse 8. He says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Have you ever wondered, what is it that causes someone who, again, the Bible says is dead in their sins, like you and I once were, what is it that that causes a sinner who has no interest in the things of God to turn, to repent, and to turn to Christ in faith? And be born again, become a child of God. What is it that would cause a man that was once a drug dealer and a convict who was sitting on the second row in the previous service to now become a passionate witness and evangelist for Christ? What does that? Well, actually, my friends, it's not a what, it's a who. It's the Holy Spirit. That convicts the world of its sin, of God's righteousness, and the coming judgment. And then Jesus zeroes in on the central core of sin in the hearts, minds, and lives of unbelievers. Verse 9 The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Jesus is saying there's only one path. We live in a multicultural era of tolerance and political correctness that says there are many paths to God and all religions are good. That's not what Jesus says. He he said there's only one way. There's only one way. There's only one path to redemption, to believe in me, Jesus said. Morality won't do it. Religions won't do it. Only faith in the only Son of God will lead to eternal life. And Jesus had to go to the cross for that to be possible. Verse 10, Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Jesus is saying to those confused, depressed disciples, Yes, I am leaving you. I must go to the cross. It's why I came to earth. It is my mission to redeem you. And that's why Jesus said as he hung on the cross just before he died. you remember his last words? It is finished. His mission was accomplished. If you're a Super Bowl uh, fan, you know that today is Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl 55. If you don't know who's playing because you don't care, I'm about to tell you, the Kansas City Chiefs against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's a really interesting matchup of two uh, very different quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes is a good Texas boy, went to Texas Tech where Pastor Steve went to, went to school, a long time after Pastor Steve went to school, by the way. Uh, but 25 years old, uh, good Texas kid. And then he's playing against... Um, holy mackerel Tom Brady uh, senior moment Tom Brady who is 43 years old said to be the greatest quarterback of all time somebody said that Tom Brady has socks older than Patrick Mahomes Well, at this moment, some of you are listening to this message on a podcast or you're watching it uh, on m1bc.tv. You already know who won the game. But as I'm preaching this message, we don't know who's going to win the game. I predict Kansas City. But uh, we don't know because it hasn't been settled yet. There's not been a victor declared. But friends, in the far more important battle... Between Jesus and Satan, we already know who wins. We already know. Las Vegas need not set a betting line on that battle. We know Jesus will be victorious. It's like the great old gospel song. There's victory in Jesus, our Savior forever. And if I can carry the football analogy a little further, if you're not a Christ follower, we welcome you. There's room for you on the team bus if you'll put faith in Jesus. The victory has been won. Look at what he said in verse 11. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Mm. And so we who know him by faith, We have a message of sin, judgment, and redemption to share with the world through the Holy Spirit. We are called to be his messengers and his ambassadors. Messengers and ambassadors of the good news of the gospel. That's what Jesus was saying to those disciples that day. And this was so big, but there was so much more. Here's what he said, verse 12. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. (laughs) Within ten years, less than ten years, John would be given an apocalyptic vision of the end times. And he would record it. We have it as the book of Revelation. But just think, what if Jesus, who could have done this, would have given the disciples that day a a panoramic vision of 20-plus centuries of Christian history? What if he had shown them all that was going to happen in the name of Christ? But he was saying to them, I can't even show you the little bitty slice of what your role will be in the kingdom of God as you go out as those initial missionaries to begin the early church that will change the world forever. I can't even show you that. You wouldn't be able to process it. You wouldn't be able to grasp it. But, oh, listen, I am leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Now, does that speak of prophecy, the gift of prophecy? Well, yes. And certainly, I believe that gift is still active. It's often counterfeit and abused. We know that. But God still does give prophetic visions, I believe, even in this day. But I think on a more personal and practical level, he is saying that I can look into your future to guide you. I mentioned earlier Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will show you which path to take. That's because he can see the future. He can see what's ahead for us that we cannot see. He knows what is in our way that we do not know. So he will speak to you about the future. Oh, the Holy Spirit does so much in the heart of an open, obedient follower of Christ. But now listen to what I'm about to say. It may be the two most important sentences I say in the whole message. The Holy Spirit can only teach you if you're listening. The Holy Spirit can only lead you if you're following. These are not words of theoretical theology. These are words from Jesus in John 16 about our lives, about our paths to follow Jesus, about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit desires to do in your heart and in your life and mine. Verse 14, he will bring me glory by telling you what he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, The Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Or if I may put it this way, The Holy Spirit will be the voice of Christ to your heart. The voice of Christ to your heart. So now listen. The question is not, will the Holy Spirit speak to you? The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? Is He guiding the decisions of your life? Is He? Is He forming Christ like character in your heart? Is He? Is he drawing you more and more daily into your mission to be a messenger and an ambassador of the gospel to those who don't know Christ with whom you may have more influence than any other Christ follower in their life? Is he drawing you daily into your mission? Is he changing your behavior to be less like your selfish, sinful self, and to be more like Jesus? Is he? The Apostle Paul had powerful commands for us in Ephesians four twenty-nine through 32, that speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to every word. Don't use foul or abusive language. By the way, that's also on social media. I cannot tell you how many church members I have unfollowed because of the language they use on social media. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been convicted when I said something I should not have said. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now look at this, verse 30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So I have a single next step challenge to leave you with today, but it's important because if we don't do this, then this whole message has just been a bunch of wasted hot air. Here's my challenge for my heart and yours. Begin today to cultivate a deeper and more genuine relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's essential because, my friend, the Holy Spirit is your guide through life. Pray with me. Lord, I deeply love the people to whom I have preached your message today. It's a message that I needed. It's a message that I need every day. It's a message that every Christ follower needs. For if we were filled with the Holy Spirit, if he was given control that he desires to form the image of Christ and to produce Christ-like behavior in us, then much of what we do that discredits the gospel and the church of the living God would not be done. Forgive us, O God, when we act in the flesh instead of living in the Spirit. Help us to become more and more Christ like followers of yours who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who can do through us what we cannot do on our own, to the honor and glory of Christ, the advancement of his kingdom, and the gospel becoming real and personal to those in our lives who do not yet know him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday.